Good morning. How's everybody doing on this rainy Sunday morning? Anybody lose power yesterday? A couple of people lost power, but uh, got it back today, I hope. All right, good. Um, some of you may not know this, but today, October 2nd, the first day of October every year, is uh, World Communion Day. Uh, it's the day when churches from around the world gather uh, to uh, commemorate Jesus Christ's death on the cross with the elements of communion, which we will be doing uh, later during the service. Of course, we uh, celebrate our communion uh, once a month here on the first Sunday of every month. Um, and uh, we will be doing that just a little bit later, and we invite you to join in for that. Um, how many of you use social media? Any social media, come on, be honest. Social media users, there we go. Look, it doesn't matter how old you are, people are on social media, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the newest, I don't even know what the newest thing out there, they keep putting new things out there. Uh, but each of these apps, all, all these social media apps, they were created originally so that we could connect with people that we know and share messages back and forth and uh, share pictures of every meal that we've ever eaten ever and talk about how good, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're doing is. Um, and of course, you know, every funny meme or video that we want you to think is also funny, so we send it to you and make sure that you uh, enjoy it and laugh and do all of those things. But somewhere along the way, Social media kind of evolved, it changed, and not necessarily always for the better. So now we aren't just helping to connect ourselves with the friends that we already have, we also get connected to the friends that they have, and then the friends that their friends have, and the friends that, so that suddenly we can be hearing about people's meals from all over the world and not know who they are. And when Twitter and Instagram came out, when Facebook came out, um, and MySpace before that, if anybody remembers MySpace, they always used to talk about the people that we would uh, have kind of in our, uh, on our list as friends, right? Facebook friends. And of course, you know, sometimes we're not sure that, you know, some of these people that we don't know are our, our friends, but they're our friends' friends, so they vouch for them, we'll think they're cool. But when Twitter and Instagram came out, they changed things a little bit. No longer were you adding friends, you were looking for followers. And you were looking for people to follow. And you can see that right on Twitter, how many followers you have, how many people you're following. And it started to become a contest. Who can have the most followers? Who can have the most people on their list? How many people can I follow? I want to hear from all of these people. And if you have enough of these people, right, enough followers, then you get to be known as an influencer, right? Anybody ever heard of a social media influencer? Yeah, these are people who they make posts all the time and they want to tell all of their followers all of the things that they know about. Usually, hopefully, it's like one subject matter that they're really experts in, but then it, 
as it evolves again, they start talking about everything. And people think they're an expert in everything and their followers listen to what they say because they're influencers. And these people generate large followings of these enthusiastic and engaged people who pay close attention to whatever they say. And we got to get up in the morning and we got to check Twitter and we got to see what our favorite person is saying today. Oh, maybe I shouldn't eat uh, quinoa anymore. No, quinoa's out and now we're going to eat something. Oh, risotto. Now we're going to eat risotto. And we become influenced in our daily lives, in our actions by these people. Anybody have a favorite? that they follow? You don't have to answer that, it's okay. <laughs> In the first century, they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have Instagram and Snapchat and all of these things. They didn't have mass communication. But even without the help of all of these social media tools and technologies, Jesus, through the description that we read in the Bible, would have been considered an influencer because lots of people would follow him. And instead of following him on a screen, they literally would follow him from place to place to place. And Jesus, he was an expert. He was an expert in the kingdom of God. He was an expert in God the Father. He knew the Father, he knew what the kingdom was like. He knew how to get to the kingdom. And people would ask him often, how can I be saved? How can I enter the kingdom of God? And he would tell them. And because of this, along with some of the things that he did, he generated large followings of enthusiastic, engaged people who wanted to hear him speak and who wanted to watch him perform miracles. Most often they wanted to either see him heal somebody that they knew or to heal them. And he had these large followings of people. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at the 10 core values of the Brethren in Christ Church. And the 10 values, we hope, will help us focus our faith a little bit and help us to be able to really see what is it that makes the Christian life, the Christian life. And, and we've explored experiencing God's love and grace without which we have nothing. We have no faith if we can't experience God's love and grace. We talked about believing the Bible is God's primary way of communicating his nature and his will to us. For those of us who would read it prayerfully and look for guidance from the Holy Spirit, we can find authority in scripture. And last week we looked at what it meant to worship God and with everything that we do and everything that we say as we live our lives. And this week we are going to talk about the fourth core value. Some of you still have those uh, pages that we uh, passed out a few weeks ago. The fourth core value is following Jesus. And according to Brethren Christ values, we value wholehearted obedience to Christ Jesus through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're sitting here this morning and you have accepted God's free gift of grace and forgiveness, you're probably sitting here saying, well, duh, 
course following Jesus is a value that we would have. It's in our name, brethren in Christ. It's in the name of our religion, Christian. It's all there. It's about Jesus. Of course it is. But what does following Jesus mean? What does it look like? And that answer doesn't come so obviously to Christians. And if you consider how many different denominations of Christianity there are, in the United States alone, 200 to 300 different denominations, and every time a disagreement about what it means to follow Jesus happens, a denomination breaks up and they go their own way. This is what happens. We've, it's, it's going on today. There's a, there's a couple of denominations that are having a lot of issues and struggles with things. We're going to actually look at some of that next week when we talk about being a member of the community of faith. But sometimes we have a really hard time agreeing on what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus. And we'll point our fingers and say, well, you're not a true follower because you don't do this. Well, I'm a true follower because I do that. And this morning, we're going to take a look at what it actually means. We want to just turn to Scripture. Just like with everything else, we want to prayerfully consider what does the Bible say about following Jesus? And the very first person that Jesus ever talked to and ever asked for him to follow him was this guy named Simon. Had a brother named Andrew who was with him as well. Simon and Andrew were fishermen. And we see this calling in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5. We see it all throughout the Gospels. And I'm going to read now from Mark chapter 1 verses 16 to 18, and if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, uh, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. It's the second book in the New Testament, and we're in the very first chapter of Mark. And we're going to take a look at verses 16 to 18 in Mark chapter 1. And we read, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. In Luke, we see a little bit longer version of this event with Jesus actually going fishing with Simon and with Andrew and with their partners, James and John, in another boat. They all go out together to catch some fish. And Jesus helped them to catch a miraculous number of fish, more fish than they had ever seen in one catch in their entire lives. Jesus started his ministry by calling these men to follow him, these fishermen. But unlike many of the influencers today on social media, Jesus started out showing why he was worthy to be followed. When Jesus helped them catch this huge amount of fish in Luke chapter 5, 
We read this, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus' response was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you're going to catch men. Simon took that first step. He experienced God's love and grace and forgiveness, and he realized, I am a sinful man, O Lord. You don't want to have anything to do with me. And a lot of us feel, have felt that way. A lot of us have felt like I am no good. And most of us sitting here have found that grace and that love and that forgiveness. And because we have, we can realize, yes, I was no good. I was a sinful man. I was a sinful woman. But by God's grace, by God's mercy, he has forgiven me for my sin. This is what happened with Peter. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Don't worry. Don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus is basically saying, your sins are forgiven. Follow me. In both tellings of this event in Mark and in Luke, uh, and in Matthew, actually, we read, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left the most lucrative catch they have ever had in their entire lives, money that they couldn't even imagine when they sold all of this fish, and they said, forget it. This guy, Jesus, this, this is where I need to be. And they started to follow him. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they didn't need to see anymore. They didn't need to experience anymore. They knew that Jesus was the real deal. And they even started thinking, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah. And they wouldn't even dare necessarily say that out loud at first. They would whisper it in tones. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the Savior of Israel, the person that we have been waiting for for centuries. Maybe, maybe this is the guy. Let's, we're going to follow after him. And as they follow Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, Jesus continually shows why he is worthy of being followed. And we read about Jesus' influence all the way throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read Jesus' influence throughout the rest of the New Testament as churches start to, to be formed and start to grow and start to believe that this Jesus is who he says he is. Even though those churches, those people may never have seen him or seen his miracles. The people who walked with him saw these things and they were excited about it. And they received power from the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Savior, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. 
This is what Jesus' influence did. Jesus had power over sickness. Everywhere he went, he encountered these people who were sick or crippled, and sometimes Jesus would just speak to them. You are healed. Sometimes Jesus would pray over them. Sometimes Jesus would lay his hand on them. Sometimes Jesus would give them instructions to go and do something completely different. Like the man that wanted to be healed and he told him, go wash in the pool and be healed. He told 10 guys at one time, you are healed. And all, all 10 of them went off and as they were leaving, the healing happened. Jesus healed these people. But in every case, they wanted to talk about Jesus. They wanted to let people know who Jesus was. The sickness obeyed Jesus' instructions. The sickness went out of their bodies. And they were thankful. Jesus had influenced their lives, changed their lives. Jesus had power over demonic forces. And in the 21st century, we don't really think sometimes about demonic forces. A lot of Christians don't believe that demons are real. But they are. And Jesus had power over them. We see several times in the Gospels where Jesus encountered people who had been overcome by demons, who had been indwelt by demons, and he commanded those demons to leave that person, and they did. The demons obeyed the command of Jesus. Jesus had power even over nature. We read of a couple of times where Jesus calmed a storm one time we read how Jesus walked on water and then invited Peter to come out and take a walk too. He had power over nature. And when he climbed into that boat or when he was awakened from the back of the boat, whichever story we're reading at the time, both times Jesus commands that the wind and the waves stop. And they do. And the disciples that were on the boat even said it. They said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? We talk about in the Brethren in Christ Church that obedience to Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is one of our core Values. It is one of the things we value the most. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus expects that we will follow his commands. Jesus expects that we will heed the instructions that he has left behind for us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and in all of the other places where we see Jesus talk in the New Testament. And we get the power to obey after we have received God's grace. Because God puts the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey 
the power to understand who Jesus is and the power to live the life that Jesus wants us to live that is pleasing to God the Father. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is closing his Sermon on the Mount. Most people know the Sermon on the Mount, even if they haven't been to church very much. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us the results of our obedience or our disobedience. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, Jesus doesn't just say everyone who hears these words. And many, many people have heard the gospel preached. They've even read the Bible. But that's where they stop. They hear the word. They hear Jesus' commands, Jesus' instructions. But Jesus says, no, it's not just about hearing them. It's about doing what they instruct, doing what they command. And Jesus tells us what it's like for those who do his words. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus' words, Jesus' commands are constant. They are strong, and they keep us steady if we do them. If we don't do them, Jesus also tells us what happens. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If all you're going to do is listen to my words, it's like building your house out of cards. And the first wind is going to blow that house over. We have to not only hear Jesus' words, we have to do them. And there are many, many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ who do not do what he instructs, who do not do what he commanded. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, the verses just before these, the ones about the houses, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus' instructions tell us what the will of the Father is. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is doing the will of my Father. They're listening to my words, but they're not doing them. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is a hard passage sometimes. And I know some, some people sit there and they say, wait a minute, are you saying that I can do all these great ministries 
and I can give all my money to the church, and I can do this, and I can do that, and still not go to heaven? Are you saying that I can preach and teach God's word? I can cast out demons? Demons are real. And if I encounter a demon, I can cast it out in Jesus' name and do other mighty works and miracles and things like that and not have eternal life? No, I'm not saying that. Jesus is. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, that's not fair. What Jesus is teaching here is that there are people who will use his name to do things who are not living in obedience to his words, in obedience to his instructions, in obedience to his commands. When preachers preach that their church needs to dig deep and give money so that they can buy a private jet to do their ministry. And you gotta, you gotta get, give until it hurts. I'm not sure that that is what Jesus would want us to do. They might be preaching in Jesus' name. But I don't think they're preaching Jesus. When we, know, we know that people have claimed to cast out demons in Jesus' name, and we see these a lot of times on television. Right? Maybe not so much today. I haven't really noticed a whole lot of televangelists and, and, and faith healers and things on TV. When I was a kid, man, my mother, every Sunday morning, man, Ernest Angley and Peter Popoff and all these guys, and they would get on there and they would do all these things. And I'm not saying that they weren't Christians, and I'm not saying that they weren't doing the will of God, and I'm not saying they did not be, have the power to heal given to them by the Holy Spirit. But if their lives do not reflect the instruction of Jesus Christ, if their lives, if the things that they do do not match up with what Jesus commanded, we are told as Christians we should question that. We are told as Christians that we should test everything hold on to what is good. And there are people who will take advantage of believers. I, I'm sorry to say, but it's true. In Revelation chapter 13, we read of miraculous signs and wonders being performed. And they're being performed by followers of Satan. Miraculous signs and wonders. There's a beast that is written about, and we come to find out through the rest of Revelation chapter 13 that the beasts are actually people. The first beast is said to worship the dragon. The dragon is Satan. We read that in Revelation. And the first beast, it says, utters blasphemies against God and makes war on the saints. This person or these people they are not following Jesus Christ they're following the other guy 
Revelation 13, 13 tells us that there's another beast who performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the other beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. Those of us who grew up in church in the 19th and 20th centuries, I don't think anybody in here is from the 19th century anymore. But if we grew up in church in the 20th century, especially if you grew up in a church like mine, Pentecostal, you would hear this word, Antichrist. My pastor would get up there, man, we'd have sermons three hours long preaching about how the Antichrist was coming and the false prophet was coming with him and Satan was going to give him power and they were going to come here, they were going to deceive the nations and we aren't going to be here for it because Jesus is going to rapture us. These are the things that I heard when, when I was growing up in church. But in 1 John chapter 2, we actually read that antichrists are already here and have been since Jesus went back to heaven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We've been in the last hour, folks, since Jesus went back to heaven. We have been in the last hour since before the day of Pentecost, over 2,000 years. First John goes on, says, they went out from us. They came out of the church, these antichrists, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And he goes on to define these antichrists. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Antichrist simply means against Christ. And when we have believers that leave the church and they go and they start talking about things that Jesus never talked about and twisting his words to make them mean whatever they want them to mean, they are anti-Christ. It might be easy for us to refer to them as anti-Jesus so that we don't get those things confused, especially as Pentecostals, right? We, 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 we get things confused sometimes. But they're anti-Jesus. They claim to follow Jesus, but they are not of us. In Paul's words from Romans, they have traded the truth of God for a lie. And we have to watch we have to be careful when we are listening to people share the gospel. We need to look not only at what they're saying, we need to hear what they're saying, yes, but we also need to look at it against the Bible and see, is that what the Bible is, is telling us? Is this what the Bible means? And I encourage every single one of you 
check. Check from me. If you feel like there is something that I am saying that is anti-Jesus, you check the Bible, and then you come to me and you tell me, I don't think this is of Jesus. I'm a big boy. And sometimes, quite frankly, I screw up. Unlike all of you who are perfect. But if I say something and you, and you have a question about it, you come to me with your Bible and you say, look, it says right here, and we can have a conversation. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you I'm wrong. We got to be careful about who we listen to. We got to be careful about the people who are telling us things that are anti-Jesus. Because they're preaching lies. If we follow Jesus Christ, we believe that God is the Father who created all things and who offers the free gift of grace and forgiveness to all of humanity. If we follow Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus is God's only Son and the only way to eternal life. If we follow Jesus Christ, we know from Jesus' own words that we must hear his words and do them. We need to believe when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If we follow Jesus Christ, we follow him completely. When Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, that's what he's saying to us. We follow Jesus completely. Heart, soul, mind, and body. And this is the really hard part. Even if it means we have to die. There are Christians around the world who are dying because they are Christians. Fortunately, in the United States... We have not seen that very much yet. But we have to think about if we're truly following Jesus, are we going to follow him all the way? In Matthew 16, we see Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And people say, well, you're a prophet, or you're Elijah, or you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. That's who people are, that's, that, that's the rumor, that's what's, that's what's being said and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus confirms that this comes from God. This revelation that Peter speaks comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And right after that, the next verse we read from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and he be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter did not like that talk. Peter did not like hearing Jesus say, I got to go die now. And he confronted him about it and he told Jesus, you're not supposed to talk like this. What's wrong with you? And Jesus, who just said that Peter had had revelation from God, looks at Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
You do not have your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And when he looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, Jesus saw Satan trying to worm his way into the thoughts of one of his followers. This was not a rebuke. This was not Jesus calling Peter names. This was not Jesus even being angry with Peter. This was almost a warning to Peter. Get your mind on things of God. You're going to need it. And then Jesus tells us what it truly means to be a follower, what it truly means to follow him. Matthew chapter 16, starting in 20, uh, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And I'm going to stand here right now. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is probably not calling most of you to die for his sake. He's probably, that's probably not Jesus's plan for most of you. But if it is, if it is, we have to decide, am I willing to be that obedient? Am I willing to give my whole self to take up a cross? And when Jesus says a cross, he means a manner of death. Am I willing to carry my manner of death and follow Jesus even to the grave. A lot of people get this verse wrong, take up your cross. They think it means picking up a burden. And how many of us, myself included, have said something like, well, that's just the cross I have to bear. That's not what Jesus means here. Jesus means you got to be willing to go all the way to give your whole life. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus was obedient. Jesus was obedient to the Father even till death on a cross. And following Jesus Christ means obedience to him. It means if he tells us to tell other people about him, we do it no matter what. No matter how uncomfortable we might be. No matter how scared we might be to lose jobs or to lose friends or to lose family. It means that if he tells us to go to the darkest reaches of the earth to minister God's grace to people who have never, ever heard the name of God spoken audibly before, that we do it no matter how inconvenient it might be for us. It means that if the place where we live, the United States, suddenly makes it a crime to pray, to own a Bible, to gather as a church, to do any of those things that we know we are to do. It means we do them anyway. Even if it means prison. Even if it means death. 
Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will never ask us to do anything unless it brings glory to God. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Will I bring glory to God in everything I say and everything I do, no matter how hard it is? No matter how inconvenient it is? That's what following Jesus Christ is. We follow him with everything. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that even as... Adam and Eve were hearing the temptation of Satan that you had a plan in place to recover us, to revive us, to allow us to come back to you. Father, we thank you that Jesus did give us instructions. He did tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. He told us what you are like. He told us how we get to live with you forever. Father, I ask right now that the Holy Spirit would indwell each and every person sitting here. That the Holy Spirit would indwell me. And that I would be obedient to Jesus' voice. No matter what. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be celebrating uh, communion. Communion is that time, uh, the night before Jesus died, where he had dinner with his closest friends. Even though he knew one of his closest friends was about ready to turn him in. And that turning him in meant that he was on his way to die the next morning. But before he took that journey... He sat with his friends and he gave them symbols of remembrance. And he said, every time you do these things, do them to remember me, to remember the things that I am about to do for you. And as we gather for communion, we are an, we are an open communion uh, congregation. You do not have to be a member. We do ask that you have taken the step of faith to ask God for forgiveness of your sins and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what we're going to do now is just for the next minute or so, I'd like to have us enter into a time of prayer and reflection. If you have unconfessed sin, I ask that you would pray to God for forgiveness. And just prepare yourself to take communion. And in about a minute or so, I'll ask the servers, the deacons, to come forward. We're also going to have a deacon that's going to be standing right over here. If you need prayer for anything, Linda, guys, Linda, will you raise your hand? Linda, guys, will be over here. If you would like to come up and have prayer for anything, she will be here to pray with you. And take a moment.
Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed at supper with his closest friends. After supper, he took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. The blood or the body of Christ. After supper, he took the wine and again he blessed it. He passed it around to his disciples and he said, drink this, all of it. This wine is the new covenant of my blood that will be shed for you. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. Often we can take communion for granted. Sometimes we just see it as a thing we do. That's not what Jesus instructed. It's not what Jesus told us. Each time we eat, each time we drink, I pray that we remember Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, the work he did to bring us all here to this place this morning. This morning we sang uh, hymn 452, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Hymn 453 is not actually a song, but it is something that I was drawn to this morning as I was thinking about uh, this sermon. I want to read this to you. To be sure, Christianity is easier to discuss than to live. Thus we go on hiding behind the discussion of it. But remember that the loveliest and deepest experiences of life are not realized at the end of a discussion, but in actually sharing one's life in devotion to Christ and his cause wherever he may lead. Be sure of this. If anyone's religion is to be contagious, it must first of all be enjoyed. It must be his strength. Enjoy Jesus this week. Enjoy the fact that he has done the things that he has done for you. Be excited to share those things. Don't just have discussions. Show them with your lives. Let Jesus be your strength. God bless you.